want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host, and I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. So today I have the privilege of interviewing, and this is a real treat for me whenever I can uh, get a hold of a popular author. I'm, I'm excited and encouraged by that, that they give me uh, the, their time uh, to talk about different subjects. But I'm going to be talking to uh, Dr. Jim Neuheiser, and uh, this is the topic we're covering today. I'll put this out right now and then give a brief explanation, but go to that interview rather quickly. Uh, but the topic is pastors, parents, and prodigals. Uh, and I've been wanting to do this podcast for some time but wasn't sure on, on the approach to it. I wasn't sure who to talk to, how to talk to someone about this. But what I've seen increasingly with my ministry and even out of personal friendships with people um, is um, I, I'm becoming more and more burdens for, for parents who are navigating uh, the reality that their children, most now adults, are either struggling with the faith, not following the Lord, and perhaps what's heaviest is to see when, uh, in some cases, adult children are ostracized even from their family. That's a heartache, and I think it's something that we need to be talking about. And this can be a, uh, this can be disorienting, especially for parents, pastors, people in ministry who feel that they did the best they could in raising their children and pointing them to uh, to Jesus and emphasizing the gospel, teaching them the gospel. Uh, but then to their shock, and again, I use the word disorienting, their son or daughter uh, it does uh, not inherit that, does not capture it, has not owned it, or is struggling with it. And there can be a lot of good things about that. I think it can be very healthy that an adult child is uh, kind of revisiting things and wanting to affirm uh, and, and own from themselves their faith. Uh, but what do you do with this? Um, where do you find comfort? Uh, how do you get perspective? Well, these and more are the questions that I sat down to talk to Jim he uh, Neuheiser about. And uh, just a little bit about Jim. He's the director of the Christian Counseling Program and associate professor of pastoral theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He served in pastoral ministry for over 30 years in Southern California and Saudi Arabia. And he served as the director as uh, of the Institute of Biblical Counseling and Discipleship since 2006, so he's still doing that. He's a fellow and board member of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, or ACBC, and Jim has been practicing biblical counseling since 1982. So he's really qualified to talk about this, but what uh, I think you're really going to relate to and what's going to resonate is his own personal story in, in this regard. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview right now. All right, I have the privilege of having uh, Jim uh, Neuheiser on my Before You Quit podcast. Good morning, Jim. Good to see you. You are in Charlotte, North yes. Carolina, correct? Good morning to you, Mitch. Yes, uh, awesome. Well, I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this, although it's uh, it's one of those podcasts I'm doing that's a, a little bit of a sensitive subject. The title, I think, is going to be uh, Pastors, Parents, and Prodigals, and okay. uh, a topic I've been wanting to cover for some time is... Uh, I've been burdened uh, for as I work in my ministry with uh, people in ministry. Often, we'll start talking about ministry burdens and then end up talking about family. And this is one of the uh, topics that seems to come up a lot, and it seems to be increasing as well. The burden that we have for our uh, adult children in the church and uh, our own our own children. So, but first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you landed where you are. Sure. Um, well, for the past five years, I've been the director of the Biblical Counseling Program at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, where I'm an associate <laughs> professor. I'm also one of the pastors at our local church here in the area. I spent uh, 26 years as a pastor of a local church in Escondido, California, Grace Bible Church, while I was also doing some adjunct work at Master's College, or now University, and I also did some adjunct work at Westminster in California. I've been married to my wife, Caroline, for over 40 years, and we have three adult children, 
who are in their 30s. One is in Australia, one is in San Diego, and one is in Seattle. So it's kind of hard to get everybody together. Oh, my gosh, I can imagine. Yeah. Especially yeah. with COVID, although we hope to get to see uh, one of them along with our daughter-in-law and grandchildren uh, over spring break. And how many grandchildren do you have? We have three grandchildren and one on the way. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, hope you can see them soon because I know as grandparents, that's uh, one of the joys at this stage in life is is grandchildren and spending time with them and seeing them. So, uh, and they are they are in some tough places as well uh, with the COVID restrictions. So I, I can yeah. imagine you're eager to see all that uh, that lift. Uh, well, great. Uh, I love to ask this question to start out, and it's often a, a segue to the topic. Uh, but what, what do you, uh, why do you do what you do? What drives you? What, ma- what matters to you at this stage in your life, um, maybe sure. more than before? Yeah, well, I've, I've just really seen myself as a pastor, an ordinary pastor. And after doing that for 35 or so years total, um, we came here to train people to do ministry. I actually have the privilege of teaching some preaching classes as well as counseling. Uh, So my goal now, I guess, is really at a stage of life where even though I love to preach and enjoy counseling, I want to equip people to do the, both the public and the private ministry of the word. And my job now at RTS Charlotte is mainly equipping future church leaders to do counseling from the scriptures. So uh, that's, I guess what I'm about and actually goes way back in my life. We actually made the decision to come here thinking of Psalm 90, where the psalmist says, teach us to number our days. And mm. uh, we were offered this opportunity. We were very, very happy where we were in Southern California with perfect weather and people we'd been with for almost 30 years. But we decided that focusing on training would be a good way to spend this latter part of our careers. And the Lord has really blessed us here. Wonderful. That's so good to hear. My my son asked me uh, not long ago as we were having a conversation about spiritual things. He said, "Dad, what matters to you more now than than ever before?" And and he's accustomed to me answering this way. Uh, I just said, "It's the gospel. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's what Christ has done for me and forgiving me of my sins and uh, give me a chance to serve Him and to worship Him in this life." And it's it's interesting. I've been in ministry thirty four years as a pastor. Been doing this ministry now for seven years, uh, helping pastors. Uh, you know, doing a good bit of counseling and coaching and navigating through tough stuff. And it's uh, it's just interesting how you get older. Uh, less things matter, but you realize they're the things that matter the most. Uh, so I, I, that resonates with what you're sharing. Um, you've written, so let, let's jump in here. You've written a number of books and, and recently a blog. In fact, uh, someone who has been helped by your ministry uh, shared this with me uh, uh, specifically about uh, children who become, uh, you know, who, who are uh, being challenged in their faith. We call them prodigals. That's probably a very broad term. And, you know, no doubt we our, our reference point there is the, the parable of Christ. Uh, but share, share briefly why you wrote that. Um, and, and also, and we, we talked about your, your freedom to, to talk about this. In what way did that come out of your own experience as a parent? Right. Well, if I could briefly say what the books are and what they cover, and then I'll kind of say how it relates to our experience that kind of in logical order, there's one that's called Parenting is More Than a Formula, which is addressing what the Bible says about the basics of parenting that some people try to be, some approaches are legalistic going beyond the Bible or deterministic promising results. The Bible doesn't promise. And we're dependent upon the grace of God. We need to incorporate the gospel into our parenting. And then there are two books I wrote with Elise Fitzpatrick. One is called when good kids make bad choices, which is really understanding teenage rebellion and how do we as parents, uh, address that wisely. How do we understand what's going on and um, you know, how can we honor God? And part of my belief is in the sufficiency of scripture, that there is nothing we will face in life for which the Bible doesn't give us the wisdom we need. And then the third book is called You Never Stop Being a Parent. Also, I wrote with Elise. And this one is dealing with relationships between parents and their adult kids, which could be I mean, issues that people are now dealing with where my child has come out as transgender or homosexual, or my child is marrying someone I don't agree with, or my child 
is 30 and still living in his room. Uh, so how do we navigate some of those? And there's actually a new one coming out, just a booklet about loving difficult parents, which is kind of the other way around. Now, a lot of the people I'm ministering to are in their 20s and 30s, dealing with my generation and the frustrations they have with uh, parents who are controlling, who are wayward themselves, uh, seeing their parents divorce after 40 years of marriage, or even people in my generation looking at their parents thinking, you know, they really shouldn't be driving anymore. Uh, how do you face some of those problems? Or, so, or you won't, they can drive, but you won't drive with them. <laughs> yeah, I won't let you put my kids in your car, for example. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so anyway, uh, and then some of this came out of experience that our children all professed faith when they were younger. And as they grew older, they did not follow in the faith that we taught them. And so that was a great shock to us. I guess I knew biblically and theologically such things were possible, but it just seemed like everything was going great. And it was about 20 years ago that our oldest son, while he was at college, kind of declared his independence and said that he didn't really believe as we believe, and he wasn't going to live as we expected him to live. And, um, and so we had to learn to deal with that. Uh, his youngest brother who looked up to him, I think was influenced by that a lot. And so mm. while he was still in the home in his mid teens, uh, he kind of went through a period where anything we were for, he was against and vice versa. And that was a challenge. Um, and then also dealing kind of with our, even our middle son where uh, we, we have a good relationship with them all as adults, but none of them are, evangelical Christians. And so how do we process that? How do we act wisely dealing with a lot of the issues that come up? So, and then also actually the irony is I had prepared a lot of this material, especially for the first book when I thought all my kids were fine. Mm. <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden it became part of my life. But in the context of a counseling ministry, I'm also the director of the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, which used to be called CCEF West. And uh, I had so many parents coming in with these problems, be it rebellious teens or 25-year-old sons who play video games all day and don't work. And so, uh, you know, what was for me originally, here's how I help other people with the scriptures. Some of that has had to apply in our marriage and our life as well. How, how long... Uh... I mean, no doubt it's still a burden for you. How long did you did it take to get past the... Uh, this being disorienting and, and shocking? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question, Mitch. Um, you know, a big part of biblical counseling is counseling with people who are sad or depressed. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like branching into another topic. But I would say that I thought prior to 20 years ago, uh, when this initially hit, I had been depressed before. And then when this hit, I realized what depression is. Mm. And so... I went through more than a year where just the world was kind of in black and white and food tastes like paste. And I'm so thankful that the Lord enabled me to endure because I'm still the preaching pastor in our church and I'm still counseling people. But yeah, I've used, I used to be big on running, but it'd be like I was running up a sand dune. <laughs> and sliding <laughs> you know? back down. Yeah. yeah. Well, just, it was just, yeah, just, I was, running at about 30% of normal and barely doing that. And I look back and I'm so thankful the Lord sustained me. Although for someone who's kind of driven and always doing stuff, it was frustrating, but it gives me, I mean, the Lord has done so much good for us through it. One is it now gives me compassion for people who are very yeah. sad or depressed. I, it gives me compassion, not just for parents who suffer with their kids, but all kinds of suffering. I think I lacked empathy. My life had been so easy. I, I tend to enjoy living within a fairly narrow emotional range. I don't like getting too excited. I don't like getting too sad. And it just forced me to um, deal with emotions I didn't like. But now I understand when people are with me and they're experiencing those emotions. So, so it's been good for me. I guess perhaps the most important lesson too has been learning to love others as Christ has loved me. Um, marriage has been super easy. Actually, I was really happy when I got to write books on marriage and mm -hmm. other topics mm -hmm. than kids, because that's been so far much more successful and more, you know, it's been easier and pleasant, but 
So much more, I mean, I'm thankful for my marriage, but the relationships that have taught me most about loving others as Christ has loved me have been my kids. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, you, you, you have empathy for others. I, I'm curious um, uh, the role others had in your own uh, healing or, or getting to a place of, of peace with this. I mean, it, it's fascinating when we face things like this that we, we can live with the burden and, and a sense of settledness at the same time. Uh, what role did others have on that? And also what role did, did theology and doctrine have on that? Right. Okay. Well, how long do you have? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm asking questions. I didn't send you in advance here. No, 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 I have no trouble answering them. It's just, but so on the others, I could, two things popped to mind immediately. <laughs> I was one of, even though I was the preaching pastor, I was one of a group of elders and we were equal in office. And so as we had these struggles, I shared with them what was going on because part of the elder qualification is that your children be in order? One of the things I had to work mm-hmm. out, actually, we'd already worked out 10 years before our conviction that elders are not responsible that their children be regenerate. We're responsible that when they're in the home, we maintain control so far as we're able. But even then, some of it was going on. I just laid everything out to my fellow elders and said, you know, since it touches on qualification, um, they need to help me work that through. and. I invited them after I laid everything out uh, more than the public knew or the church knew some things, even more than my wife knew um, that they were very gracious. They actually, in one sense, they said, you take whatever time off from preaching. They canceled my travel. Wow. They're speaking other places, but they said, your job is to take care of your family uh, during this very difficult season. It was very good counsel, but they were very gracious in terms of, as was the church. So I think people's, I, I would have thought that, oh, if a pastor has problem with their kids that, you know, people, we were a homeschooling church mostly, and our kids were kind of a few years ahead of everybody else's. And so, you know, others hadn't had these kinds of struggles yet. Later they did. But I thought, yeah, I was thinking, well, people are going to be judgmental of us. They're going to leave the church or what? people were exceedingly gracious. Um, Caroline had a friend who for a period of time, they would pray and fast one day a week for our children. Mm. So, yeah, I thought people were very kind and gracious to us and sought to be supportive of us. We also were blessed by people who would talk to our kids when they weren't that willing to be open with us. But we, we looked for people that our kids could trust and we could trust. And sometimes it was allowing an appropriate level of confidentiality where you can tell them stuff and we don't need to know it as long as you're not, your life's not in danger or something. Um, And so we're very thankful for a few friends and it actually took multiple attempts sometimes to get the right person to talk to one of our children. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. we were thankful for that as well. So that's the people part. I think it's wonderful. This is a general statement that, for belie- we all as believers need to be in the church as members and committed part of the community because when crisis comes, you need the community. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you can't accomplish that on a screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> the gathering of God's people is essential. The community is essential. And I, a lot of times in counseling, especially when I would counsel in the biblical counseling center, people would come in crisis and they really were not joined as they should be to a local church and they would try to use us kind of as a substitute but our assignment would be you need to i mean yeah it's a tragedy you're not in one now but you need to get there because the church is the place of help and healing and love and care when we have crises in life and these are also abuse and adultery and you know death and all the difficulties of life um theologically that Again, some of this I already worked through, and a lot of this is in the books, and some was in the blog, is that my understanding biblically is that we as parents have responsibility to be faithful. And that, you know, we, it's summarized in Ephesians 6, you know, don't provoke our children to anger, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Is, uh, and yet none of us will do that perfectly. Hebrews 12 says, yeah. all of us had fathers who disciplined us to seem best to them, but God is the perfect father. And so... We strive to be faithful, to control them through discipline, to control their behavior. I talk about that, like the first use of the law, restraint of sin, 
by people who don't want to obey the law except for mm-hmm. consequences, and that's the rod of discipline removes foolishness. Then the second use where we're, we're showing them the gospel, that their sin shows them they need the gospel. It's only the renewal inwardly that the gospel brings that makes true obedience pleasing to God possible. So we use their sin and our sin as an opportunity to tell them about Christ. We hope they'll be converted and they'll want to do what's right. So we're responsible to do that, but we can't regenerate our children, mm-hmm. which is the second point is our children make choices we don't control on the human level. And Jesus in Luke 12 said, you know, there will be divisions in families and father, you know, in in Luke 12, uh, five members in one house will be divided three against two, two against three, father against son, son against and so forth. Um, And this is the reality. You can go back to the Old Testament and this happened. You look at the kings of Israel, you look um, and you look in the church where in their very I mean, I'm very thankful to God for families where you have these multi-generational faithfulness things going on. God often sees fit to do that. But the whole book of Proverbs is the naive young person is being told they have a choice between Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly. In chapter 9, uh, Lady Wisdom has a banquet. Madam Folly offers you dinner. You, And I, as a parent, can tell my child, choose wisdom, but I can't make that choice. And as they become adults, they're going to make those choices. Um, in Isaiah one, even it talks, the Lord says, sons, I have reared and they have revolted against me. Mm, mm. God who is a perfect father to Israel mm. still had his son rebel. That's comforting that he understands yeah. what it means to have rebellious <clears throat> children. And it's not his fault. It's their choice. In Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 18. You actually have three generations of a faithful man who has an unfaithful son and the wicked man has a faithful son. And that is, you know, each generation is making a choice that can't be controlled by the parents. Yeah. Um, which means we're ultimately dependent upon the grace of God. Children born into Christian families are still born with a sin nature. And it must be renewed, regenerated. And just because you're in a Christian family, you have the privilege of hearing the gospel. But we're dependent upon the grace of God. If we parented perfectly, our children would still rebel. Like Cain himself did not, you know, Cain, second, your first child, he did not have internet, pornography, bad friends, bad neighbors. He had his own wicked soul and jealousy in the flesh. And, you know, he did evil. So even if, but even if we were perfect parents, our children would, and, and if, and if our children were blank slates, we would wreck them because we all fall short. Yeah. And so we're dependent upon God's grace to save our kids. Um, and it keeps us praying. Um, it, you know, it's a struggle in some ways. I've used the analogy. I feel like ever since, you know, when we thought our kids were believers and they turned away, I feel like uh, Jacob, after wrestling the angel of the Lord, well, I feel like I've walked with a limp ever since. Mm, mm. Um, that it's something that we're burdened for every day. Um, and yet we're also thankful that the Lord has sustained us. Yeah, I love the consolation that comes with uh, with, with theology, uh, you know, a, a proper view of God's sovereignty, who is responsible for the souls of of people. And uh, and also, uh, you know, a reminder of of man's sin nature, uh, in in a strange way that's consoling, isn't it? And maybe uh, until it's happened to you, you don't. It's hard to really appreciate that. Uh, before before going a little bit <clears throat> deeper into this, I you were commenting about the dilemma of an elder, you know, and the qualifications. I I've often maybe this is bad hermeneutics. I don't know, but. I've often understood the, you know, the reference in the epistles about, you know, an elder must manage his family well, that we need examples of, of how to manage this, that we, you know, the church needs to see elders who uh, are being godly in their response to even rebellion within their own home. Um, you know, that we're, it's, it doesn't mean that kids need to be, or have to be perfect. Uh, for one thing, that's never going to happen. And, uh, and how you gauge that. I mean, if that was left to every local church to determine, you know, how, how you know, uh, great an example every family is, it, you know, there'd be different ways of interpreting that. So, 
Um, yeah, so that's my, I don't know if you have a response to that before we, yeah, uh, we yeah I think on. I appreciate you saying that is that when I wrote these books and I spoke at conferences about this, I had Christian leaders, authors approach me actually saying, I too have had my kids, teens or adults <clears throat> wayward, even estranged from our children. And these are people who have not made their stories public. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like well-known people. And you know, it helped to kind of think through biblically the struggle they're having. And I also agree with you that not even just when they're at home. And you know, I think my fellow elders were really helpful to me just saying, you're at a crisis time in your life, your ministry, your family. And so your job right now is to care for your family, to help your wife, to mm-hmm. you know, do whatever it takes during this short season. And this was actually kind of the last couple of years we had a child in the house um, before college and adulthood, uh, you know, your job is to make sure you've done everything you can. You can't change him, but you can engage with him. And I also appreciated the freedom it gave me where, you know, if I had to take a day off, I took a day off to take him to a golf tournament one time. Uh, just, you know, there was no guilt in that. It was just do what you can. Uh, and it's kind of in the book, one of the books we talk about both, it's kind of like you're both disciplining, where you have to, but also loving without enabling sin and showing grace and kindness. Uh, like in that case, uh, you know, finding interests he has that are legitimate and helping him to invest in those, be it music or sports or something, even kind of common grace, good things. And so I think, you know, I, I don't, I haven't thought of myself as actually having set an example in those ways. I think my elders helped me to, mm. I was eager to run off and speak all over the world. And they say, you're not going anywhere. Uh, you know, and we'll get subs for you if you need. Interesting. Mm, mm. Um, your job when this happens is to do whatever it takes, not guaranteeing results, but at least, you know, spending time with your son who's still in the home, helping your wife. Um, and yes, uh, you know, for about a year, we had a guy who was almost not literally, but figuratively handcuffed to one of us at all times. Mm. Uh, because trust had broken down and it was very inconvenient, but it was, yeah. So I think I'm thankful for the counsel they gave me. And again, I'm, I'm also thankful, even though the Lord hasn't brought them to be evangelical Christians, saving them in the sense that we believe that relationships have been good. Actually, I'll tell you a happy story where, um, again, the youngest son, when he would have been, mid-teens and you know decided we were crazy and you know these wild-eyed mm-hmm. fundamentalists who were spoiling his life mm-hmm. and ruining his fun then we went a period of time that i would say was 15 years where we would say we love you i love you and he would not say i love you back it was about three years ago maybe three and a half years ago in a conversation um that when like we were getting off the phone we love you and he says I love you too, mom wow. and dad. Wow. And now he does every time we talk to him. Oh, that's amazing. And I would love for him to love Jesus more than mm-hmm. I want him to love me. But it also, again, in terms of example, I can tell you lots of things I do wrong, but I'm thankful to God. And this is where I give a lot of credit to my wife is that when I almost, sometimes I feel tempted to say, well, look, I've got these young men in seminary who would love to spend time with me. And I have sons who don't believe what I believe. Mm-hmm. My wife says, but they're your sons. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. Call them, reach out to them, spend time with them. Um, and something I think very common, even with unbelieving young adults, and is that they still care what their father thinks and they still care about the relationship. And so, again, loving them and making efforts towards them. One yeah, of the and most sinful temptations we can have also, is to say, well, this isn't, this relationship isn't great or. Yeah. Sorry. We were, it was breaking up there just a, for a second. You, you've also interacted with them about this. Uh, the, 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 the books you've written, articles you've written, you, you talk with them about that, don't you? Yeah. When I wrote, especially the first book, which was very personal, the sons that I told some of our story, especially in the introduction, I gave them the opportunity to read it ahead of time and express any concerns they had. Um, 
the later books, I wasn't as personal in just telling our story. Uh, but yeah, and so even recently, I've had some interesting interaction with the oldest one where we've gone back now, it's been almost 20 years and describing uh, how we each saw those early interactions. And uh, as we talked it through, it was interesting trying to clarify some things. One thing I said to him though, is that when he would have been 19 years old and at college and you know, was had a girlfriend with the relationship we would have deemed inappropriate for many reasons and had turned away from what we believed. I told him, you know, at the time it was, I just felt like, oh, this is horrible rebellion or something. I realized now it took a lot of guts to face us and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. And um, yeah, so he was right to be honest with us. We of course wish he would you know, believe the scriptures and embrace the gospel, but uh, yeah, we keep learning. Yeah, but Lee, the, the the communications there, the relationship is strong, which is which is an important. I'd like to come back to that and ask a question uh, specifically for for pastors and those in ministry. Uh, the the um, the common reference that that's used that people struggle with, and I'd, I'd be curious on on how you have responded to this, uh, but the Proverbs 22, six, you know, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he will not depart from it. Uh, you know, when the, the reality is that a lot of parents have done that, but that's not been the outcome. How, how do you, how do you live with that tension? How do you counsel people that will bring that up? Yeah. Um, my understanding, actually, I wrote a little commentary on the Proverbs too, is that these sayings in Proverbs are, infallibly true principles of wisdom, but not unconditional promises, especially in a fallen world. Actually, Bruce Waltke, I had the privilege of having him actually skim my manuscript and give me some suggestions. And he talked about too, how he would say some of these are promises eschatologically in one sense, the mm. prosperity, but in this life, in a fallen world, this is generally how things work, but not always. And you go back to chapter 10, the hand of the diligent makes rich. Well, that is a true statement of wisdom, and it's generally true that people who work harder prosper. But some people who work really hard have restaurants that the government won't let take customers, and they lose their lease and they lose their business, even though they're very hardworking people. So they were faithful in working hard, mm -hmm. but circumstances happen that uh, turn in other directions. And even in the rest of Proverbs, you have the appeal to the young man choose wisdom. In chapter one, you know, choose wisdom, calling out the naive person, pleading with them to make the wise choice and warning, if you don't, there will be consequences. And it's not, well, automatically, because you have believing parents who speak wisdom to you, we don't need to worry about this. You still have the choice to make. So I would say that Proverbs 22, six would be generally speaking, God blesses faithful parenting in many ways. And I would even say in a common grace sense, God is blessed the things my wife and to some degree I have done uh, for our children and uh, some of the common grace blessings they enjoy in life, uh, honesty, hard work, you know, achievement or whatever, even that they all love their mother. Yeah. You know, so, but it's not a promise that if you're yeah, good enough. Yeah. Parent, I like that. Yeah. And, and there's a sense too, um, that the training up is for you, uh, you the, how the gospel is, is even shaping you and preparing you for the possibility that, that, you know, the child might not follow the faith. Uh, so your commitment to the gospel helps you to handle this well. Right. And the other thing, is it accurate also to, to, and I've heard this interpretation before that, uh, it will not depart from him, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. And, and that gospel, that message, that, that, that faith, a biblical foundation will be there to continue to, you know, convict them against the rebellion. Uh, how, how do you view that? Um, I've heard two or three different interpretations of the verse. And I think what you said is a true statement, whether that's what the verse is saying, I'm mm -hmm. not sure. Yeah, it can, it can be backed up elsewhere, obviously, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I certainly, we have that hope that seed was sown. And, you know, the, the reason why we all love the story of the prodigal son, the parable, 
I mean, the parables meant to illustrate God's love to us, but we love the fact that a wayward son can return, even though it's really meant to be a parable about our turning to God. But I do see examples, and, and that's one thing about being a pastor in a church, is you'll have people come and they're 40 or they're 35, and they'll say, I was raised in a Christian home, and I knew I was turning from God, and I made my parents miserable, and then I... You know, God saved me. God yeah. turned me. Wow. Uh, I actually did a conference recently at, uh, with Kevin DeYoung and a lady, uh, Lori Perry, Lori Perry, who had, she had been raised in a Christian home and she actually went in transgender, did transition. Uh -huh. And then, you know, later in life, God really saved her and she went back to being a woman. And, uh, and so I do have that hope that our children will remember. Uh, you know, one of our children had some trouble recently and it said he prayed. Mm, <laughs> of course, mm. that was for my wife. Like, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. There can be disappointments as well. Yeah, I think a lot of it to me too, if you're just thinking theologically, is that it's a struggle not having certainty that people I love and for whom I pray will be saved. It's a struggle to keep praying for them. Yeah. Um, it's a struggle knowing when to you know, speak. I'm looking for chances to kind of drop things into conversation that try mm -hmm. to water the seeds planted a long time ago. But, you know, it's a burden to bear in terms of, you know, I think in the Bible of when Nadab and Abihu were struck dead and Aaron just had to kind of be quiet Mm -hmm. Job's children. And so, mm. you know, God and his sovereignty does what is best. And yet there are things he does I don't understand or don't even like. And yet I have nowhere else to go but to him and to trust yeah. him in the midst of it. Though he lay, slay me, yet I will trust him. And so, and there are other people. You know, I have a friend, who, we have friends recently with a husband who's about my age suddenly died. And, you know, Living in a fallen world, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of hurt, there's betrayal. You know, pastors get betrayed by former church leaders or present church leaders or family members, and there is suffering and sadness in this life. And when you know God is sovereign, and so atheists don't have a problem of evil because it's all bad luck. But, you know, one of my favorite characters right now in the Bible is Naomi in the book of Ruth, where she thinks everything's against her. Mm -hmm. and, She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons, and it seems hopeless. And yet, God has Bitter. a wonderful mm -hmm. plan mm -hmm. that she doesn't realize. But so, I mean, some sometimes maybe some of us are in Ruth chapter one in life, and you know, Naomi ends the, the book ends with Naomi holding a baby that's hers, and you know, covenantally. And so, we have that long-term eschatological hope, and we we hope in a more general sense that the Lord will answer our prayers and do great things, but there's not an unconditional promise in scripture that will happen. And yeah, yeah. it's hard to live with. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow, uh, you know, yeah, the gospel allows us to assume some things. And one of them is that somehow uh, God is glorified in all this. Uh, you know, he's, he's sovereign and we defer uh, to him, the, the main responsibility and, and continue to carry carry the, our share of that burden, knowing that he is, he is, uh, you know, as Elizabeth Elliot said, I think that, uh, you know, he, he carries the heavier end of that cross and uh, that his heaviness, you know, even uh, you read in the old Testament, his, his burden, as you were referring to, you know, the waywardness of, of his children, Israel as a perfect God. I mean, if he, uh, if, if he felt that, then, uh, you know, he, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and that that's something we can embrace, uh, at times like this. Well, what, yeah, wonderful uh, perspective, you know, personally and, and uh, inserting, you know, good, good theology as, as a guide and remaining faithful, trusting the Lord and all of this. Um, how do you, uh, again, one, one of the things with, with uh, someone like you is how the, the vulnerability is so relatable and, uh, you know, the, the pastor who projects, you know, no, no, no hurt, no pain is, going to have a hard time, you know, really, even though he's faithful to the word, uh, you know, resonating with the real people in, in his pew. Um, if a pastor right now is just going through this and it's disorienting him, uh, uh, distracting him from ministry, and he's going through that, 
that shock that you went through, what, what encouragement would you give to them right now? Yeah, the first thing that comes to me is a lot of pastors are very alone, which I don't think is God's design mm-hmm. for the church where, you know, they're the senior pastor. And so they don't think they can be vulnerable with the other leaders. And I think that having a genuine plurality of men who are not your inferiors or your posse, but actually your peers and men you can trust, like the experience I have with my fellow elders, just to say, this is what's going on. And quite frankly, when you're in the middle of this, you're kind of bewildered. You know, what do I do? What have I done wrong? Why did this happen? And to have, uh, again, that's where the church should be there for us. And pastors are members of churches like everybody else. And to have other strong men and women to lift up your arms when you're having a very difficult time. Mm. Um, I mean, a lot of what we wrote the book or their audios on the IBCD website talk about this too, is also just, I think, an encouragement that God has helped other people through this. And even going back into the Old Testament, how did Adam and Eve feel when Cain killed Abel? And yeah, that you're, this is not something that's unique to you. It's not um, a total you know, failure in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 21, where you have the wayward child, the wayward young adult, they don't take the parents out and stone them, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, that our children make choices we can't control. And it's very hard. They're responsible for that. We love them. There's, you, we can't pretend the pain isn't there. Another thing I think really important, assuming you're married is, Pet spouses can be tempted to blame each other. Yeah, you, know, you were yeah. too strict, you were too loose, you weren't loving enough, and the Lord has kept us united. Uh, one thing we pray together every day, and part of that is always to pray for our kids, um, but to to guard your marriage and to you know humbly weep together and bear one another up. Uh, those would be among my thoughts. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, Hebrews talks about the great cloud of witnesses that surround us and then the call to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, that cloud of witnesses are people who have gone through this. Uh, that, that That's uh, what you're emphasizing here, that the, the Bible's full of stories and even historically, you know, um, you know, many, many Christian leaders that we look up to that this is part of their story. And, uh, and there's encouragement in that we're not alone. I mean, Adam and Eve must have felt alone because there was no precedent. You know, this was, so this was especially, had to be especially brutal for them. Um, do you feel like the, the church is addressing this well? And if not, how should they, um, you know, particularly as it relates to leaders? Right. I mean, the reason I write books is usually because I'm counseling people and I don't have a book anybody else wrote about the topic. Mm. And so mm. part of the reason I've written what I wrote is to help. I think actually what's in the parenting is more than a formula, little, little yellow book by PNR, just getting, you know, the part one is the Bible teaches us basic things about parenting and people try to make it extremely specific. This is the only way to do it. And there are books and seminars and parents always looking for the thing that's going to guarantee an outcome. And each family really has a responsibility before God to work out how they're going to apply the basic principles of scripture, but also that these formulas are not guaranteed like mm-hmm. baking a cake. And actually I quote one of the formula makers saying, if you just follow this, it'll be like baking a cake and it'll be wonderful. It'll all turn out great. Our children aren't pets. We're trying to get to fetch sticks or something. And so I think having a realistic biblical perspective on the freedom we have to apply the general principles in scripture, our dependence upon God, our children will not be saved by their works or our works of parenting. Uh, We are dependent upon the grace of God. I actually, at the end of the booklet, talk about it. It's actually based on a talk I heard by Dave Harvey, who wrote When Sinners Say I Do. And he says how we begin parenting thinking it's going to be something we will use to express our strength. Mm -hmm. And instead it's a way that God shows us how weak and dependent we are. Yeah. Second Corinthians where when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Um, And then to be honest and transparent with one another, instead of trying to pretend like, I mean, on Facebook, everybody has a perfect marriage. Everybody has perfect kids. 
I'm not saying you put your struggles on Facebook, but I think in the context of small groups in the church and shepherding with pastors and people that to be transparent about our struggles and to bear one another up is important in the church. I, like I said, I was so impressed with how gracious, not just my fellow elders, but even the church members were when we struggled that I, ex- I expected judgment and instead I received grace. And I, I think, I think the churches I've been around have done well at that, but I do know there are, there's a culture within Christianity that if something goes wrong, you, it must be entirely your fault. If you would have just followed the formula better, your kids wouldn't be rebelling. Um, and that's nonsense biblically. Uh, so I guess in churches or communities where that's being taught, they need some better instruction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why you're writing the books. That's why I'm, I'm doing this podcast is to in, encourage the church, encourage leaders to, uh, encompass this in their, in their love and support for their pastor. Uh, I talked to a pastor not too long ago and he, you know, there were, there were some struggles in his family with some other families and he shared it with his elders. And he was like you said, surprised (laughs) that there was love and support and what can we do and let's pray with you. And, and so the, the takeaway for this piece would be to, uh, you know, to take that risk maybe, uh, and, and share these, these real life struggles with, uh, uh, with those that are that you're closest with, which which hopefully will be your your elders. Um, by the way, I, I uh, when sinners say I do, Dave Harvey. I actually interviewed him two podcasts ago on his new devotional for couples, and it was just phenomenal. So to continue to encourage people to listen to that. It's just a little plug here for <laughs> previous podcasts. Uh, hey, we've talked uh, we've talked a lot here. I want to wrap up in in your blog? You you give six. Uh, points uh, to consider, I think is how you framed it. If your adult child is a prodigal and um, let me, let me just read each. And if maybe you can say a sentence or two about it, uh, if not, just say next, uh, because they're pretty self-explanatory. But parent, number one, parents influence their children. Right. And that's the train of a child and the way he should go. And so Proverbs is a parent trying to influence his children, Mm -hmm. train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord don't provoke them to anger. So that's our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I encourage parents to talk about the gospel a lot with their kids, talk about the scripture, uh, not just read it, but talk about it, interact with them about it. Uh, number two, parental influence is not determinative. Right. And that's where you have all these examples in the Old Testament where you had godly fathers like in Ezekiel 18 and otherwise. Um, and their children don't listen to their ways and don't follow mm-hmm. in their ways. You had this yeah. with Eli, Samuel, David, on we could go. And Jesus warning that fathers and sons will be divided because mm-hmm. of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number three, our children will be exposed to other influences, which I think is, is probably a, a, a greater reality. I mean, every generation probably has said that, but uh the, the, the gap, the disparity between, uh, you know, uh, Christianity, the church and culture is, is widening. And uh, it just seems like they're exposed to a lot more things today than, than before. Right. But that's also in Proverbs where in the first nine chapters, many of the warnings have to do with sexual temptation. Yeah. Yeah. And we think, how could, you know, the way people dressed back then and acted back then, how could you do that? Yeah, that's well, true. That's why I qualified that every generation has probably said that. Uh, right. but, uh, our children will make choices we cannot control, is your fourth. Yeah. Um, that's back to Proverbs wisdom cries in the street, and then our children are going to decide whether they listen to wisdom or folly. And we, we don't, we can outwardly control some behavior when they're young, but we can't make them love the Lord or repent of their sin or believe. And then our children are responsible for the choices they make, which is a, a logical outcome of that previous point. Right. And that's like we've mentioned in Deuteronomy where in the old covenant to keep the purity of the community, when there was a wayward young adult, uh, they did not punish the parents. They punished the child. Yeah. Yeah. I love the last one. We're dependent about a, upon God's sovereign grace to save our children. Great reminder. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And so we can't through excellence in parenting, save our children. Yeah. 
Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, raw and uh, good open conversation. Thank you so much for your, your transparency and also the wisdom that you bring to this. Uh, you know, thank you for uh, allowing your story uh, to be out there and any, any final thoughts as we wrap up here, Jim? No, I'm really glad you're bringing this up as well in terms of um, there are many people struggling and in some Christian subcultures, uh, they're hiding because I mean, it could be pastors, but even members who don't want to share their struggle. I think it's important that we share these with the body. And I will mention that in addition to the books, which cost money, uh, you can listen to a lot of my teaching about this. That's a summary of the books on the IBCD website. And so if they want more, that's where they can get it without paying money. And my publishers would be happy if they paid money. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't be embarrassed to promote. Uh, I mean, it's good stuff. So it needs to be, needs to be put out there. Uh, yeah, and I'll link these things on the website as well. And, uh, and I'll, I'll send you a, a link once I've, I've put this together. But Jim, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I think this has been a, an excellent conversation and a needed conversation. Thank you. I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit and spending the time. And thanks for your encouragement. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or anything you want to talk about, do email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us, mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And I'd also encourage you to go to our website, which is www.beforeyouquit.us. I've got up to 77 podcast episodes there now and a number of blogs, and I would encourage you to look at those, share them with uh, those around you, your pastor, your elders. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Mm -hmm.